You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This evening's message is from Titus chapter 2, verses 15. And the title of the message is The Source of Preaching with Authority. It would seem strange for us to invite most professions up onto a stage in front of a group of people like this one and have them proclaim to you the importance of their profession. Can you imagine if we had a teacher come up and just tell everybody that, man, teaching, it's the most important job in the entire world. There's nothing that compares with the importance of preaching. Or we could have an electrician come up and and proclaim the same thing about being an electrician. It would be very strange for most professions to exclaim how important their job was. It would almost seem like they're lacking in self-esteem and trying trying to invent and elevate their own importance. And so I approach this text tonight, entitled Preaching with Authority, or The Source of Preaching with Authority, but I do it with the knowledge that some might see this as a preacher trying to justify their existence. Some will see this text as one preacher patting another preacher on the back as they remind one another how important they really are. And the truth is, I think most of us like to feel like what we do is meaningful. We like to believe that we are contributing to something, that, there, that, that what we're doing is not wasted, that, that this is not just extra study time for no purpose, that, that it's not expelling breath and having you all miss part of the Super Bowl game just, just for nothing, right? That there's something that, that can happen here tonight that's worthwhile. Some people do wonder if preaching is relevant at all to their lives. I hope by the end of tonight to at least answer that question. Is preaching relevant? And if it is, how so? What is our role in preaching? My role as a preacher tonight Pastor Dresser's role when he preaches, anybody else who stands behind the pulpit when they preach. But not only that, the the role of the people that come and hear the Word of God preached. What role do you play in this? In Titus so far, the thrust of Paul's message has been gospel-motivated living. Paul is instructing Titus to instruct others. In verse 7, Paul instructs Titus that not only does he need to tell them how to live, but he needs to set an example for them. And so as we go through the book of Titus, we see, we understand that Paul is writing to a young preacher, and he's writing to them to tell them how they're supposed to be teaching and running the church that he's now in charge of. In verse 15, Paul directs a statement squarely at Titus. So here he's not telling Titus, Titus, this is what you need to tell other people to do. Here, he looks Titus directly in the eye, and he said, Titus, this is what you are to do. This is your responsibility as a preacher in this church. How do you deliver these truths that we've already seen in the book of Titus to a people like the people of Crete? How do you tell these people who are so used to living out the flesh, living in their sin, who um, fornication and a lustful living, they're just a normal part of the society. That idolatry is what everybody does all the time. It's really not a big deal. It's, it's open. It's normal. 
How do you instruct a people like that, that they now have to bring their lives in line with the gospel? That because God is holy, they need to be holy as well. That there are some things that they need to say no to and some things that they need to say yes to. Do you write a book or a clever poem? Do you model it simply and hope that they catch on? Do you start small groups or have counseling sessions? Do you create entertaining media presentations? Or have heartfelt worship services? Is it going to happen because we have just a multitude of wonderful personal testimonies? Or what about just great deep prayer meetings? In Titus 2 chapter 15, I think we're given the answer. How do you take these people? What is the primary method that we are to use to take sinful people and to transform them into followers of Christ who are attempting to living like Christ? Now, all those other things I said, books, poems, small groups, counseling, prayer meetings, they're all important. They're all needed. But in this case, I believe they're secondary to what is being accomplished here. See, preaching without any prayer is meaningless. It really doesn't have any power behind it. But as soon as you you take out the preaching of God's word, you've taken out the primary way that God speaks to his people. So Titus chapter 2 verse 15 says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. These things. Well, he says something like these things. And we have to ask the question, what things are you talking about, Paul? It's important um, when we ask a question like that to understand the context. And we understand now that Paul is writing to Titus, a man who is sent on a mission to organize a group of believers in Crete into a church. He's instructed first on the elders of the church and what their qualifications ought to be. He's then instructed on how to deal with false teachers who will come into the church and attempt to lead the church away to deceive the church. He moves on and he he speaks to specific groups of people and he tells them how they're supposed to live out the gospel and how in them living out the gospel, they disciple others who come behind them. And then he tells him the whole motivation behind it, that that, that it's the grace of God that brought salvation that is now teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So he has given all of these teachings and now he says... It's these things. It's these truths, the truths of the gospel, the doctrine. And it's how the doctrine is to be lived out. It's the behavior that is suitable to the gospel. These then things then are a mixture of truths and commands, what the believer ought to believe and how they ought to live. He says to speak them. That is to announce, to proclaim, or to preach them. Make sure that you stand before these people in Crete and you tell them what they need to know about God, what they need to know about themselves. Explain to them how grace works and that grace means that they're justified, that they're, that they're going to heaven one day, but it also means that they need to start changing their lives now to come in line with God's grace, to be grateful for God's grace. And that through God's grace, they'll be transformed. You need to speak these things. But not only speak, he tells them to exhort. Exhort is to call near, to entreat, or to call alongside. And so it's kind of this idea of encourage, 
but it's even more than encourage. It's not just to stand back and clap and say, yeah, let's, let's do this. To exhort is to say, you need to come along and do this. So yeah, you're encouraging, but you're actually bringing them alongside you. You're entreating them to follow a certain path of behavior and certain beliefs. So it's not just pronouncement of truth, but it's taking that one step further where you're trying to, to encourage people to believe and follow in that truth. That the truth that I just pronounced has implications for you. That your life should change because of what is being said. I could tell Landon that his shoes are in the front hall closet. Or I could tell Landon that he needs to put the shoes on that are in the front hall closet. And that's the difference. So we give information, but we also give commands that need to be followed with that information. We exhort. Number three, we rebuke. We are called to rebuke. Confront the wrong beliefs and the wrong actions of other people. This is not a an optional message for believers. When the Word of God is preached truly from the Word, it's authoritative in all believers' lives. It is something that that should be expected to be followed, and when it's not, it should be corrected. Rebuke moves from the realm of motivation to preaching God's Word with authority. We're not just preaching good ideas. We're not just preaching lofty morals. It's not just some kind of philosophy that you can take or leave depending on how you feel about it. These are truths that that must be believed and must be followed. And so we rebuke when they're not. Rebuking requires authority, an objective source of truth. And that's why Paul continues and he says, with all authority. So you speak You exhort and you rebuke and you do those things with all authority. Titus, you are commissioned to boldly stand and preach what is true. You are expected to call people to action upon that truth and to correct any error in doctrine or in behavior that you find. You do all of those things and you do them with all authority. What a bold statement that is. That statement is the reason that the church will never be fully accepted in in a secular culture. It's the reason that the church will actually be more and more persecuted as time goes on. See, if if we were just saying, you know what, we've got this group of people here, and um, we're just going to get together on Sunday morning, and we're going to discuss what we think is a good way to live our lives. And so here's some things that we want you to believe Here's some things that we want you to do. You should go out ahead and do it. And, and like, if you're doing something that's really against those things, we want you to stop. But hey, you go out and do that, but, but, but good luck to you. I mean, go ahead, and if this works for you, that's fantastic. And if it doesn't, you know, there's probably another church down the road that will have a, a slightly different version of what we're teaching you. And you can find it there, and maybe that will just fit better with your personality in your life. That's not the command here. The command is to speak, and to rebuke, and to exhort, with all authority. Not man's authority, not authority as an expert, not with impressive qualifications or degrees, but as an ambassador of Christ, as a herald of God's revealed truth. That is what the preacher is to be. And that's why it's 
absolutely essential that when a preacher is up here, they do not, do not stray into the realm of opinion and subjective ideas, that they stick to the truth of God's word. Because when we're being called to have this kind of authority, we better be sure that what we're saying, it lines up with God's word. That we're not saying more or less than what God has revealed. Because we have authority. We're to, we are to have authority when we preach. He concludes this succinct statement on what preaching is with, let no man despise thee. And at first when I read that, I thought, you know what, what he's saying is, don't be worried about it when people don't like you. So it's kind of, it's let no man despise thee, but really, really what he's saying is, don't let it bother you when people despise you, because obviously it's going to happen. But the word despise, it, it's kind of interesting. It has the idea of someone who doesn't think you're worthy of respect. So let no man despise you. Let no man listen to what you're saying, and then because of the way you've preached, because of, because of the way you've handled yourself, that it gives them a reason not to believe you. So this would be a person who is speaking in a way that is very unsure, with no authority at all, no plan, no idea of where they're going, they're fumbling over everything they're doing, that would be a reason for someone to despise you. They're not, they're not hating you, but they're not, they're not given any kind of reason to respect you. And what he's saying here is that you should be preaching in a way that commands some kind of attention. That people might look at and say, I disagree with that person, but it seems like what they're saying makes some sense. That what they're saying they truly believe. Right? That they've thought about this thing. That they've planned for this thing. He's confronting Titus, and he's just saying, Titus, make sure that when you handle yourself behind the pulpit, you're not flipping about it. You're prepared. That you're ready. You're going to say something worth listening to. So I want to give you tonight three thoughts on preaching. Number one, preaching was, is, and will be God's primary method of communicating God's word to God's people. Preaching was, is, and will be God's primary method of communicating God's word to God's people. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that personal Bible study, personal Bible reading is not important. It is of the utmost importance. But throughout the Bible, God primarily uses preachers to convey his message to people. And there are many times throughout church history where God's people did not have the ability to take their study Bible home and have this wonderful personal time of, of study and devotion by themselves. Okay? Now, I'm grateful we have that. I think it's a wonderful thing that you can go home and you can read God's word for yourselves. But you must recognize there actually is some danger in that as well. Because if I get up here and I say something absolutely crazy about what God's word says... Do you know what's going to happen? I might not happen in the service, but I can guarantee after the service, there will be a number of people that come up to me and say, hey, Dan, you really messed this part up. Like, that, that didn't say that at all. What you taught was false. Not only that, I would expect that Pastor Dresser would get up the next time and he'd say, you know what, Let, let's, let's make this thing clear. There is, there is an aspect of truth that wasn't made clear last time. It needs to be clarified. I would expect that if I go way off on something in the Bible, that it will be corrected. But when you're by yourself and you come to your own conclusion on something, 
Who is going to tell you that you're way off? Who's going to tell you that what you're thinking is, is crazy? Now, I'm not saying don't study. I think you should study. But I think you should then study and take what you've studied and talk to people about it. Talk to other believers about it. Hey, if you have questions, don't just assume answers. Don't just do whatever you know you think fits. Do some more study on it and, and bring that to the church. I think it would be a wonderful thing if we, did, if we kind of did more of our personal study together. Preaching is, was, and always will be God's primary method of communicating God's word to God's people because back then, they didn't always have the ability to take that study Bible home. And so they would rely on the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word to get them through the week or to get them through the next few days or to get them through until the next time. And they would, they would listen intently because that's their word for the week. That's, that's the, the extent of what they're going to get for the week to feed their soul. So they are just focused on it and wanting to know what it says and wanting to learn from it and grow from it and apply it to their lives. And sometimes I think we have such an influx of information, so much truth bombarding us all the time, that what can happen is we don't ever focus on one thing. And there's not ever one thing that really changes us, that impacts us. And if we would take a week and just think about one truth and allow that one truth to change us, we would be taking steps closer and closer to the image of Christ. Al Mohler said, The testimony of Acts and the history of the church witness to the fact that preaching is the church's only strategy for survival and for multiplication in the face of cultural hostility. Preaching is not just one church growth strategy among others. It is the lifeblood of the church's existence. Even in the Old Testament, the prophets were first preachers and then authors. Jesus was a preacher. He went around doing miracles. He went around feeding people, but we don't call Jesus a chef. We don't just say that he was, a, he was just a way better doctor than everyone else. He was a preacher, and he, he did those things to call attention to his authority. He was preaching and teaching the word of God. The disciples went out and preached the word of the risen Christ. Every sermon in the book of Acts speaks of the risen Christ. The early church grew both numerically and spiritually as the word of God was preached. Methods did not change when the audience changed, when the culture changed. And this is one of the lies that the church is believing. Our culture has changed. We have a culture that seems like it's just allergic to authority, right? All authority all the time needs to be questioned. And as soon as you have some kind of authority, it's almost like, it's almost a negative thing. So what some, some people are really thinking, and I've read preaching books that are discussing the merits of this strategy, and that's to enter into conversations with people from the pulpit, but not in an authoritative way. Because what people think is, if, if you can get people to come to all these conclusions by themselves and not ever feel like there was an authority figure that was presenting something, but they were just in, you were in a part of a discussion, then maybe people would respond better. And listen, I understand that. But we don't have the license to be pragmatic. We're given one way. We're given the word of God, and we're told that there are preachers that preach the word of God, and then that's what people... No, it doesn't mean that the small groups and counseling and discussions aren't good things. 
But this is the primary method of communicating God's word to God's people. When the word of God is preached, it should be preached and received with a spirit of expectation of the Holy Spirit's empowerment. It's not that preachers are so good at what they do. It's not that our words have intrinsic power. It is that the Holy Spirit has chosen to act and work through the preaching of God's word. And if he is truly the only one that can change a heart, that can bring life, that can um, transform an, un- an unbeliever and a believer, we got to do it his way. We can't do the way that we think is just going to get the best results. It's preaching. Every revival was, was bathed in prayer, but every revival was also set ablaze through preaching. In 1 Corinthians one twenty one, Paul writes, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God works through the foolishness of preaching. And as a preacher, I recognize that to many people, this is foolish. But this is what he works through. Number one, God's method, primary method to speaking God's word to God's people is through the preaching of God's word. Number two, the authority of preaching rests in the material, not in the man. He says these things. He doesn't say, Titus, your opinion, speak it. The book you just read, the philosophy you're kind of entertaining right now, all of your thoughts. We want to make sure that everybody gets your thoughts on these topics. He says, not those things. These things, these truths that I've just laid out to you, this behavior that I've made abundantly clear, those are the things. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, when he's speaking about what elders should be able to do, he says that they must be holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So what things? Well, it's sound doctrine. And you must be holding fast to that. In Titus 2.1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So not only do you teach the truth, you teach the lifestyle that accords with the truth. Now, I think there are two ways to err on this point. One is to err on the side of the preacher. Um, There are some churches and some preachers that demand unnatural authority. That... The preachers expect their word to be gospel, whether their word is the word or just the word that they came up with that week. And there are many churches that have people that will follow this kind of thing. The funny thing is, people like to have somebody else who is sure about what they need to do. And if you can present yourself as somebody who is confident and sure that thus saith the Lord, even if the Lord didn't say that thing, then you will have people that follow But the authority is not in the man. It's in the material. And the material has to be God's word. And so we must not ascribe authority to his words rather than the word. There should be no blind following of what you hear in church. Bereans were called wise because they sought to see whether those things that were preached were so. And so part of your responsibility as a hearer is to take what's taught and compare it to what the Word of God says. But there's another way to err, and that is to err against the preacher. 
and I've seen this happen often enough as well, that is to not allow him to speak authoritatively into your life even when his words align with the word of God. Sometimes in an attempt to avoid a blind following, there is a total refusal to follow at all. We all know that no preacher is perfect. We all know we're sinners. As sinners, we will make mistakes. We'll make mistakes in our lives, and we will make mistakes with our words. And so, yes, you need to be people who are being careful about what's being said and what you're hearing from the word, but you also don't need to be people who are unnecessarily critical of what's being said. That, that all you're trying to do in every single sermon is to break that thing apart, to expose why it's really wrong. No, we should be teachable people. If people are attempting to preach the word of God and what's being said aligns with the word of God, then let yourself fall under that authority. That's God's plan. There is supposed to be authority in the preached word. It is not just a lecture that you digest and then determine how well it fits with your worldview. The truth is, sometimes preaching should sting. Sometimes it should smart. Sometimes it it should hurt us a little bit. It should be uncomfortable. We should feel convicted. When you feel uncomfortable because of what something was said, don't assume that the reason you're uncomfortable is because it just must not be really in the Bible. Check it out, and let yourself be convicted and changed when... The word is preached clearly. Do not despise or disregard the preaching if it is sound. This would be my practical advice for every Christian. I would say you should find a church that is in the habit of expositional preaching of God's word and then believe the preacher until you cannot. Does that make sense? So, so find a preacher and a church that's committed to the word of God, that's committed to the expositional preaching of God's word, that holds the, the Bible in very high esteem, and then, then believe the preacher until it's clear that you shouldn't. And when it's clear that you shouldn't, then don't, because he is not the authority, the material is. But don't have this negative, critical attitude. Okay, there are two ways to err. Try not to err at all. I love how some people say, like, well, you, I'm going to err on this side. Well, don't err. Just right? It's better not to be an error than it is to be an error just on one side. Um, and here at this point, I want to give a really quick plug for expositional preaching. Um, expositional preaching is a preacher systematically going through a text, usually a, a book of the Bible, with the goal of d- deriving the message of the sermon and the application of the sermon from the text. That, that is expositional preaching. And the reason this is important is, first of all, it allows God's word to speak for itself. You don't get to pick and choose which text and which verses to use. You're going through a book, and you're going to hit every single verse in that book. And different topics will come up, and different things will need to be talked about, some of which the preacher might prefer to avoid. There are times that I'm so excited about the text that I'm in. Like, this is, this is the one that you're waiting for. There are other times, I'm like what am I going to say about this? <laughs> like, really? And it forces me to get deep into God's word and to, to figure out what I need to say, what God is saying in that text that I find more difficult. And then to try and deliver that. And it forces you to listen to a text that you might not otherwise hear if all we were doing was 
was picking our favorite topics and favorite texts all the time. And so we, as we go expositionally through a book, we're able to develop the context, the flow of the book, what the author is trying to convey to the original hearers, and then properly apply it to our lives. Um, Al Mohler said this, he said, In the final analysis, the ultimate authority for preaching is the authority of the Bible as the word of God. Without this authority, the preacher stands naked and silent before the congregation and the watching world. If the Bible is not the word of God, the preacher is involved in an act of self-delusion or professional pretension. Standing on the authority of Scripture, the preacher declares a truth received, not a message invented. The teaching office is not an advisory role based on religious expertise, but a prophetic function whereby God speaks to his people. Preaching should be done with authority, but the authority must be found in the material and not in the man. And number three, preachers ought to come prepared to preach truth, and listeners ought to come prepared to hear truth. There is a dual responsibility that goes on every single time the word of God is opened. Both the preacher and those being preached to. The preacher ought to be ready to preach. Alistair Begg said, the reason most preaching is ignored today is because it deserves to be. Probably true. There's one pastor that he never prepared a sermon during the week. And then on Sunday morning, he'd sit on the platform while the church was, was singing, and he would just prepare, Lord, give me your message, give me your message. One Sunday, while he was desperately praying for God's message, he heard the Lord say, here's my message. You're lazy. God provides the Holy Spirit to empower, not to allow for lazy students. And as we prepare for preaching, we don't just expect the Holy Spirit to all of a sudden come up and and fill us as we're speaking the word and and go in a completely different direction than we'd planned. Now that could happen. And it's not that it never happens. But I think the normative... um, experience when you're preparing messages is that you go into your study and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you prepare. That you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you study and as you put the application together. And then you get up here all prayed up and and hoping and confident that the Holy Spirit will now help you deliver what what he's helped you prepare. And so the preacher must be ready. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, Paul's advice to Timothy was study to show thyself approved unto God A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love how John MacArthur put it. He said, the preacher is not a chef. He's a waiter. God doesn't want you to make the meal. He just wants you to deliver it to the table without messing it up. That's all. And that's right on. We are not to come to the Bible and create, as a chef would, with all these ingredients, some incredible message. We take what's there, and we do our best not to mess it up as we deliver it. We should preach with passion. I can't imagine, as I read through the Bible, and I read the sermons that are are given to us in the Bible, that they were preached without any kind of emotion. It seems to me that preaching happens from our heart to yours. 
that the goal of preaching is not just to fill your mind, but it's to, to reach your heart. And so we ought to preach with passion. Um, Richard Baxter said, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. I don't know if I will ever be able to stand here again and preach to this group of people. So I'm preaching as a dying man to dying men. What kind of passion, what kind of emotion would be poured into a sermon like that? Preaching really is a matter of life and death. Um, That does not make the preacher any more important than the electrician. But it does make the duty of preaching of the utmost importance. Martin Luther is a man who believed that the first mark of a healthy church was biblical preaching. He said to preach Christ is to feed the soul, to justify it, to set it free, and to save it if it believes the preaching. What an incredible thing that you can stand up and preach something that can justify and save and and bring freedom And all that's necessary after you've preached is for those folks to believe what's said. The listener must come prepared to hear. We ought to have passion. We ought to be prepared. But you have responsibility in this too. J.I. Packer said, We complain today that ministers do not know how to preach. But is it not equally true that our congregations do not know how to hear. I expect the world to despise the preaching of God's word. I expect the world to treat preaching with hostility, with befuddlement, with indifference. Even in Jesus' ministry, when he was doing miracles, he was drawing crowds, when he started preaching and teaching, often those crowds would dwindle. So I expect there to be many people who who don't get it and, and don't flock to the preaching of God's word. But I don't expect the church to treat preaching with hostility, befuddlement, or indifference. The church ought to be a people who are open and anticipating God's word. Who are not befuddled, but they're they're trying to understand and follow and and be in line with and and get what the text is saying. That That they're not indifferent, but they're caring. They're excited about it. They're passionate about this truth. How wonderful would it be if the people we preach to were as excited about the text, not not the sermon, not the jokes, not all the rest of it, but the text as we are. It would be a great thing if if we said, open your Bibles here, and you're like, I love this text. I can't wait to see what I'm supposed to do with it in my life. What there is for me to believe. That is part of the responsibility of the hearers. See, this dual responsibility is founded upon the belief that the Holy Spirit is at work. Spurgeon said, The gospel is preached in the ears of all men. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher, otherwise men would be converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning, otherwise it could consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we stood exhausted and our lungs had died out. But never a soul would be converted unless there were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Ghost must change the will of man. Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone, to stone walls as preach to humanity unless the Holy 
Ghost be with the sword to give power to convert the soul. We need the Holy Spirit's power. And if we will both take on this responsibility to say that God uses preaching, that the Holy Spirit can empower preaching, this is an important thing that's happening here, and you will say, the Holy Spirit uses preaching. And the Word of God's being opened. And I'm praying and asking the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and life tonight. I wonder how much more profitable our meetings would be. Every time God's Word is open, we said, let's see how the Holy Spirit can work on me tonight. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Very simple words, but very profound words. We as preachers are to speak the truth, to exhort others to follow it, to rebuke what's false. We are to do it with the authority of God's word. And we're to do it in a way that is, that is powerful. It is the primary method that God speaks to his people. It is the authority that we are to be changed by. God's word. Not the man, but the word of God being preached. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul wrote, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. See, every time Paul gets a chance to speak to a young guy, a young preacher, he tells them that they have the duty and the responsibility to preach the word of God. Because God uses his preached word to change lives. It might seem foolish to the world. It might seem like a a ridiculous idea in a society that hates authority. But this is God's prescribed method for the church. And so may we as God's people come to the preaching service and say, God, show me what truth you have for me tonight. I'm grateful for the the privilege and the opportunity to be able to open God's word and to do this. But I'm more aware than anyone here that my words mean absolutely nothing if the Holy Ghost doesn't work. And so I guess what what the text, what I'm asking tonight, is that we come to the word of God, and, and rather than just coming to be entertained, coming to see the train wreck, whatever it is, that we come to God's word with the expectation that the Holy Spirit will use it to change us. Let's pray.